Hello and welcome to the Book of Leaves podcast. My name is Cara Kearney and I am your host. Hello there, thank you so much for tuning in to episode 61 of Book of Leaves. This is a podcast where I interview people who are doing something good for the planet, trying to make it a better place in some way, shape or form. And I like chatting to people, getting to know them. And the whole idea is we can take a leaf or several out of their book and you can choose whatever leaves or tips you like from people. And in this interview, we're going to be chatting to Jane Killingbeck. Um, Anyone who doesn't know me personally. My name is Cara and I'm an actor by trade and I also work lots of other jobs to kind of keep me going but the environment is just something that I am very passionate about. Environment is a bit of a funny word I guess but uh, the planet and all who live on it and yeah obviously this is one little thing that I can do to try raise awareness and um, affect some positive change. So uh, yeah this is a hobby of mine and I love it and thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning back if you are a regular listener and if you're new hello and welcome. So Jane Killingbeck the reason I am closing off season three with an interview with Jane is because I personally needed a chat like this about um, kind of around practical steps that we can take to be activists in a time in a world that's really daunting and where burnout is a very common thing. And I very recently finished reading Act of Hope by Joanna Macy and Chris Johnstone and it was really, really good. I'm kind of just going through a period. Some of you are probably in the same boat. I know some of you are. Um, some of you have probably already been through this or dip in and out, but I'm just having a hairy mental health time. We'll put it that way. Nothing wrong with being hairy, actually. So let's rephrase. I'm just, I'm having issues of being burnt out, stretching myself too thin and just trying to figure out like thoughts in my head and stuff and uh, yeah so I'm kind of in like a calm like re-healing stage and it's quite um, turbulent some days and very calm the others so I'm moving somewhere with it which I think is good but yeah just to be honest with you um, I'll always be open and honest about mental health with people I think it's important but for that reason I've then started reaching out and clinging on to things that uh, to help me kind of manage myself um, and how I react to multiple crises that surround us um, this past year obviously needs no mention oh I should also say that it's been three weeks since the last podcast and usually I upload these every two weeks um, so apologies I just ended up um, having a lovely Christmas weekend with my four-year-old niece it was very magical and yeah I didn't just didn't have the headspace to do editing so I hope you don't mind that you're getting this in the new year that is 2022 and I hope you all had a lovely break um, but yes, I've been reading kind of very hopeful books. So I've read Active Hope by Joanna Macy. I'm currently reading A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, which I think is pretty good. And before that, I read A Short Hopeful Guide to Climate Change by Oisin McGann, an Irish writer. Um, but obviously, 
just reading about these things won't always help. Uh, you need to practice a lot and that what people practice to help them with their mental health, being activists is different. So a lot of people spend time in nature, meditate. There's so many different things that you can do. But I really loved Joanna Macy's book. Not sponsored, by the way, just loved it. It gave me lots of very good practical tips that I have yet to put so many of them into into action. But I wanted, obviously, I didn't, Joanna Macy is probably busy and uh, I might not talk to little old me. So I found someone in Ireland called Jane who does uh, the work that reconnects workshops. And the work that reconnects is what um, basically Joanna Macy called this kind of, I wouldn't call it really a program, but just like... Uh, she's labelled the way we see the world and the di- there's three different viewpoints, for example, that um, we can find ourselves in and um, three different modes of living that are the, like business as usual. We just keep going with things, even though everything is is turning to shit. Or there's the great unravelling where people are aware it's all turning to shit. Or there's the great turning where we can see everything is turning to shit and we do something about it. So sorry if there's any little ears around. Poop. Anyway... Um, Yeah, so Jane Killingbeck does the work that reconnects workshops. We touch very lightly. I mean, this is a very light dive into the work that reconnects, the work that Jane does or the work that Joanna Macy does. Um, But I hope that you will find some nuggets of wisdom in here. There's some things that I'm going to elaborate on and I guess share some just some little nuggets and tips at the very end of this interview as well. So yeah, that is it. I will introduce you now to Jane, who is set up in West Cork and uh, hosts events down there, the Work That Reconnects workshops. There'll hopefully be one in spring. You can sign or you can shoot her an email to be added to her alert newsletter um, list. And I've linked her website. We also talk about a meditation later on called Ashaya's Ascension, and that's linked below as well. I didn't know how to spell that. I had to Google it. But yeah, here's Jane. Um, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you are in a position where you're able to financially support it, I do have a Patreon and a once off subscription or once off non-subscription um, donation model on buymeacoffee.com forward slash book of leaves. Thank you so much to the people who have given and continue to give. I really appreciate it. And if you could share the word, leave a review, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, that would be very helpful. And yep, just share it around. Share it with anyone who needs it or who might like it. Okay, sorry, enough talking at the start. Here is Jane. I hope you guys enjoy and I will catch you after for some more tips that I got. Jane, you are very welcome to the Book of Leaves podcast. Thank you so much for sharing some of your time with me in this very hectic season, so close to Christmas. I really appreciate you being here. It's so lovely to talk to you. Oh, thank you. So can you please introduce yourself, I guess to me as well as listeners, because we're only meeting each other for the first time now this evening. If you could let listeners know a little bit about yourself, where you're from or where you grew up, anything that gives us a little bit of an essence of who you are that'd be great 
Okay, um, my name's Jane, Jane Killingbeck. I grew up in England, in southwest of England, in Devon, and I moved to Ireland in 1990, so I've been here a long time now. My children and grandchildren are all here. I'm living in West Cork. Let me see, what else could I tell you? Uh, I've done several different trainings in recent years, and I yeah, do all sorts of things, really, under the, under the sort of mantle of being a One Spirit Minister. And so I suppose um, most of the stuff I do, I would do underneath that um, title. A One Spirit Minister. And what what is, what is that for people who might not know, like me? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose um, it's mostly what, what we do is give ceremonies, like we do weddings or funerals or baby blessings for people who would like something that is particularly personal where you know they would create a ceremony with me. So I suppose it's for people who want something special that they don't want in church, but they would like something, usually it would be something spiritual, but probably not religious. Sure, so have, that sounds lovely. Um, you know, I suppose one spirit implies, you know, that um, I suppose we see it as being that there's um, the essence of truth within all traditions, but sometimes fairly hidden within those traditions. And so um, we would um, honor all traditions and all the ways that people find meaning in their lives. Oh, that sounds really, really lovely. And in regards to, I guess, the work that you do called The Work That Reconnects, which is a, a strain of, of work, but um, you are someone who is environmentally aware um, as well. So what was a kind of triggering point in your life was there something that inspired you growing up as a child or did your parents kind of raise you to be kind of conscious or what was your journey like into I guess working in the work that you do now today well I think just growing up in the country at a time when I was given a lot of freedom to wander around in the countryside and I had an auntie who was uh, a botanist and she used to take me wildflower hunting (gasps) And, you know, I grew up in Devon and, like I say, it just wandered around a lot and yeah. took myself quite seriously. I can, I've still got nature journals I did when I was like 11 or 12, which I sort of wrote up after going for little adventures locally. And, oh, and so I, I think it was always in me that love of nature. And I prefer to see it in that way of not being, you know, eco-consciousness is a sort of strange word or strange phrase, it's more, I think I always had a great love of nature. And then I guess when I was at college, there was, it was the beginning of the whole, you know, environmental movement um, in Britain then. And I can remember I went to Save the Whales meetings and I would have gone picking blackberries in the middle of South Sea and made blackberry jam. And, you know, I was quite eccentric, I suppose, in that my friends didn't, you know, oh, and I joined the um, Ecology Party, as it was at the time, which became the Green Party. Wow. And um, and I was very into John Seymour and all the sort of self-sufficiency stuff that was around at that time. It was a real strong sort of movement to go back to the land. And so there were a lot of people moving to Wales and Ireland and Scotland and you know places where property was still cheap and you could still buy a little old small holding and so you know there was quite a big movement back then in the 1970s to do that and I moved and had a cottage in the country goats and chickens and you know the whole thing. And this was in England was it? In England yeah before I came here and I suppose I wasn't really sort of politically um, 
active, you know, in terms of environmental stuff. But I was definitely wanting to live sim more simply in a society that wasn't really going down that road. And so I suppose that's what inspired into a quest of our own, another step sort of towards a slow life. And, you know, I lived the first five years in Ireland up in the mountains in Kerry with no electricity or running water and, you know, did the whole thing really properly. Wow. Maybe, although I think it's a very good experience to have done that, but that actually, you know, to, to actually live at the end of a track forever is not necessarily the best way to, um, I suppose I, in the end, I lived then in Sneen for a, for a while in a village, you know, in, in South West Kerry. And then I moved up here to, to West Cork. So I think from going to being right at the end of a track and living very, very quietly and very, very simply, you know, I've sort of slowly come back into society because I feel that, you know, we're all in this together. And although it may be very, a very beautiful way to live, to go and live somewhere like that. It's actually to embrace society and, you know, the whole mixture of people within society and to be oneself within that society and to live with as much integrity as you can within that society is actually, for me, you know, more important. And so I guess that's what I try to do now. And so the work that reconnects, um, I came upon that when I was living in Kerry, just I was I was looking for some some way to do something to do with environmentalism, and I was living in Sneem, um, which is really you know like a long way from everything, and there was a poster in Kenmare advertising a council of all beings. Now I'd never heard of a council of all beings, but it sounded interesting, <laughs> and so I took myself off to this council of all beings, which was being held in um, somebody's small holding um, and I didn't know the guy and I didn't know anybody who was going to it and it was a strange sort of weekend it was uh, not very many people there but it, it, it did inspire me and and then as a result of going to that um, and learning a little bit about Joanna Macy I suppose and I then got involved a little bit in uh, Friends of the Earth but that was a long you know we had to go to Kalani to meetings of Friends of the Earth but we myself and a couple of other friends started to do that and there was a a whole thing about doing a farmer's market in Kenmare, I think. And um, But then in the end, the guy, one of the people who had been um, facilitating that Council of All Beings, um, asked me to co-facilitate some workshops. And so right, this is back in 2002. So we did a series on the Celtic festivals at a retreat centre just outside Sneem, up in the mountains. It was terrifying for me because I'd never done anything like that before. Right, of course really in, interesting as well and I and thought you know found them really worthwhile and I mean I don't suppose most of the people who came to those were not activists in the sense of you know Extinction Rebellion but I guess everybody who came to them one way or another you know had their concerns about mm. what was going on in the world and um, it didn't have that urgency back then that it does now but still you know um, I remember for instance um, one of the people who started the village. I don't know if you know um, the eco village. Uh, oh, Clock Jordan. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, he came down to one of those workshops and um, they hadn't even started. They were trying to set that up back then. Amazing. Yeah. So then I, you know, in the meantime, I moved up to Bandon in late 2002 and was sort of really involved in my family for the first years. And I went and did a meditation training 
um, for six months in Mexico. And I suppose for a while it began to feel as if um, the meditation practice was more important because it felt as if, if you know, if people um, in their deepest consciousness are working from a position of love, then everything else falls into place, you know? Mm-hmm. So it began to feel that, that I, I didn't need to do the work that reconnects if people were learning meditation, you mm-hmm. know? Um, because meditation would would enable people to to act and speak in 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 ways that would be in line with with truth, I suppose. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, and so so I I only came back to doing this work because the urgency of environmental concerns at the moment um, made me think again about offering this work. Until the pandemic came along. Um, I, I did quite a few, you know, because I was invited up to County Clare. I was invited up to um, uh, the Week of Action in Dublin. Yeah, held by Extinction Rebellion. Yeah. And then, of course, the pandemic put a stop to things. But I, I, you do still do them occasionally and you'll be doing one in late spring. And I'll make sure to mention your website and that for a bit for later on so people can find out more to do one of your workshops. But there's two questions I have here. But the first one, you mentioned a council of all beings. I think Joanna Macy mentions this in her book. What is a council of all beings? I mean, it's supposed to be to some extent, a playful thing. Um, and people do it in, you know, in very many different ways. I mean, you know, with the work that reconnects, the people who facilitate it are so different. You know, we are a real mixture of people. And, you know, Joanna Macy has always encouraged people to take on this work, you know, even though they come from very different backgrounds. And so, you know, we're not all psychotherapists or something. We're, we come with our own experience of life. And then, you know, we, we offer this work from our own um, heartfelt feeling of of need that that we share this work, you know. Yeah. And so, the way all I can tell you really is um, the way I do the council of all beings, and the way and the way I experienced it because I've been to several myself that you know that were facilitated by other people. So, I suppose the way I would do it is is to have the whole day as as um, devoted to it. You ask people to um, go away into nature if possible. Um, for a good long time and to see what um, creature or plant or it might even be a rock what particular thing within nature speaks to them that's the way you would you would say it that you don't choose that you are chosen to speak for this being and so that's why it's cancer of all beings but it's it's non-human beings that you're speaking for Mm. so I will tell you the story my first one because it's quite funny so um i went off and it was like bog and rock up above this small holding in kilgarvan near kilgarvan and i was like wandering around wondering what you know um what, what what's going to talk to was me going to come yeah. to I, I found you know, that a little bit woo woo sometimes and so i was like a little <laughs> bit mm, really <laughs> in the end it just came into my it came into my consciousness i suppose um, that I needed to be a slug and that I needed to, to speak for slugs. And I really resisted this because I really don't like slugs, or I didn't like slugs, you know. They were really, um, one of the reasons that I used to find, you know, gardening with my father really hard because I couldn't stand the feel of slugs mm. in the earth, you know. Like, they just freaked me out completely. So it was um, quite tough to be expected to do this, but I could tell that 
this was really, you know, there was no way that I could not be a slug or stand for slugs in this council. So then when you've, um, you know, you, you come back from your wanderings and then you make a mask, usually out of, you know, natural materials. And so you'd have feathers and, you know, and so you spend, you know, quite a lot of time to, to make something like that so that you're really becoming this, this creature or this, uh, I remember somebody was tomato or, do you know what I mean? You can be yeah. anything at all. And, yeah. um, and then with some sort of ceremony, you would all um, walk into the ceremonial circle okay and sit there um in ceremony and then um it's done in various ways but usually then one or two people take on the role of human beings and sit in the middle okay and so they sit and they listen and then you go around the circle and each person talks from being whoever they are mm -hmm. so i had to talk from about my experience of being a slug mm -hmm. in the world and I must admit, I, I mean, I'm not very good at this sort of stuff, you know, like I'm quite self-conscious in, in situations like that. But it does sort of come naturally to you. It's amazing if you, you know, wow. just became, I became quite emotional about my experience as a slug, you know. Wow. Your self was like, there's this woman, Jane, and she just hates me every time I'm gardening with her dad. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it is, it, um, it sounds maybe silly, but it's quite it's quite profoundly life-changing in a way to be listened to from that position of being this other being rather than a human being so after everybody's had their turn um, and said what they needed to say then the people who are the human beings in the middle how you know say that they've listened and you know taken on board um what has been said and usually then in the end there would be yeah some sort of discussion i suppose as a result of that you know it would it would carry on a little bit uh, and, and then you know that's it really you you've, you've... sure but it opens up your compassion into thinking of how other beings are experiencing the world that that humans are very much having a huge impact on so it's all about like awakening that and opening up your perspective and, and stuff um i'd love to do one and uh, I think it's in a way that I, I love the way that it was a slug that came to you because maybe that was done intentionally because they knew, right, Jane doesn't like slugs. So the the consciousness of the earth was like, she's going to have to think as a slug now. It's just, it's perfect. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I would agree with you. And I mean, I have always felt differently about slugs since, interestingly. Lovely. They get an awful rap. Um, so they do for lichen lettuce that we're trying to grow but they're only doing what they're I guess it comes natural to them but um, I guess for people who have never heard of Joanna Macy or Active Hope or um, the work that reconnects how would you I guess briefly introduce this to someone and, and describe the work that that you do and is done um, and where it kind of falls in the movement well, every workshop, it takes you through a process, okay? So it's, you start off with gratitude. And so you do some experiential work to do with gratitude. And then really gratitude permeates the whole of the workshop. It sort of underlies everything else. The next thing you do then is to feel feel your pain about what's going on in the world. And so there, you know, we have various exercises which will allow you to safely feel your feelings within the circle of people. Um, the safe space that you create 
a container, if you like, for mm. people to actually feel feelings. But mostly, I think you know, nearly everybody is aware of what's going on in the world at the moment. But most of the time, we don't think about it. We push it down. Mm-hmm. Because in everyday life, you know, how would you go on if you really allowed yourself to feel um, the feelings that would come up if you really, you know, um, allowed them to? And so I suppose the purpose of the workshop is to allow those feelings room to be expressed Mm -hmm. and heard by other people. But then as a result of doing that, the next stage is because you felt those feelings thoroughly that you can see with new eyes. It's like you you're relieved of those feelings. Yeah, even... even momentarily. Yeah, exactly, even though not, nothing go. has changed, but just giving voice to them has helped. And you might not be able to explain why. But that's, and that's so powerful. If, you know, if people abandon themselves to the process freely, which mostly people do, but I mean, you know, it's up to you as well how much... I mean, I always say, because I am not a therapist, you know, at the beginning of a workshop, I always say, this is not therapy. You know, this is a natural process, um, but please only um, share what you're comfortable to share. But usually it's also, I suppose, about seeing that those feelings that we commonly see as negative are not as, um, you know, that if you you can feel them and come to the end of it and come out the other side. Whereas I think a lot of the time people tend to think they dare not feel their anger or their grief or their sorrow. Yeah, they fear that it's a bottomless pit that it's never ending but it's actually not no and so I think that's very it's very useful to see that and and to experience that and to experience that together in a group so then we do exercises to do with seeing with new eyes sort of having your energy come back to actually play your part to you know to serve humanity in whatever way you are you can see is you know your role to play and that might not be being an activist in the you know in the way that most people see activism there's all sorts of ways that that you may be going to actually change the way you are in order to um to you know to serve the world it might be very small things you might be doing work already which is already serving humanity but maybe you will do it with a renewed sense of purpose and a re- renewed sense of love mm-hmm. because I think at the bottom of all this realizing that we have to come from love and compassion for everybody and that all the time that we see it as as good and bad or you know that there are these you know that there are people that we're against that that really is never going to work mm-hmm yeah there's no us us and them isn't working and creating enemies isn't working like we're all we are all in this together we might not have different we might have different boats in the same ship so to speak or in the same storm so to speak but we yeah coming at it with love and compassion even for our so-called enemies who are our enemies oh it's all I'm I'm also reading a new earth by Eckhart Tolle at the moment and he's talking I was just reading a chapter on that on what the ego creates is an us and them and it's we're all just we all just are so yeah I think this is something that we can only really we have so much to gain from I guess fixing this with compassion and empathy um but I I understand that it can be hard because the fear of feeling the pain of what's going on it can really turn people off and can make them apathetic or um or fearful yeah, so I think seeing with new eyes sounds 
really lovely. And you mentioned gratitude there as well. And that's something that, again, Justin's reading Joanna Macy's book. I keep She also wrote it with a guy called Chris Johnstone. I feel like I, I leave him out all the time, but apparently. But, but um, talking about gratitude in the book, I've never, I've always thought about practicing it, but just never actually put pen to paper. But then recently started putting pen to paper and writing down at the end of the day, what I'm grateful for, what I've been grateful for that day or to exist. And it really, really helps. I can't like quantify how much it helps. And even my my mind then went to some people I know in my life who who are going through some really difficult situations. Again, Joanna Macy explained that even if you are, if if it seems like all hope is lost and you are stuck in this situation and you've or you've had this thing happen to you, that we can still be grateful for the wind or we can still be grateful for a flower that that blooms. Like the, if you look for gratitude in the smallest of places, that is still gratitude. And you, if if you try look for that, even when shit is hitting the fan, whatever that may be, if you look for this, it it is there like there's all there is always something to be grateful for but I did find that really it's really helping me so I it is a really powerful grounding point like you said so I would definitely encourage listeners if they don't already to start practicing gratitude either writing it down or just thinking it throughout the day but I love that that's the start of the workshop and then sorry I digressed after or during the seeing with them new eyes how do how do you progress from there so then the 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 last part of the workshop is going forth and so then you would work with people to see you know what they might do together depending on what group um you know you're working with sure or or maybe do something really little in their lives that they go out you know ready to to change or to initiate or you know it could be anything and so that very much depends on the person i mean sometimes you have real mixture of people at workshops and it doesn't matter as well if, if people start talking about stuff that isn't directly to do with the environment you know it might be things in their own lives um because all you know everything is connected and so i suppose you know the work that reconnects is talking about reconnecting us with the world around us of which we are a part but which in our society we tend to forget or you know not be very aware of in our everyday lives often and also, you know, reconnecting with each other, um, with our deeper selves, and also with whatever you regard as um, a greater power, whether it is nature or God, or, you know, most people see that there is a greater power in the universe than just themselves. So I suppose within the environmental movement, you might say Gaia, you know, uh, the old um, name for for the earth. And so, you know, Joanna Macy, you probably know, um, is a Buddhist. And so quite a few of the exercises would be Buddhist influenced. Um, there, there are meditations we do within the workshops that are taken from Buddhism and which work very well as, as part of that, um, you know, that need to actually not always be trying to solve everything with our minds. And in 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 doing that, in seeking to find our own ground of being, I suppose, to be connected with the ground of our being, you know, that does change the way that 
you see things. To me, as a One Spirit Interfaith Minister and as a facilitator of the work that reconnects, that, that's what's important for people to, I don't, I don't like to say change their consciousness, but to open themselves to yeah. a deeper consciousness within them. It's there all the time, but, you know, we tend to, in our society, we are always being expected to solve everything with our minds, aren't we? Um, and we tend to, I mean, it was years before I realized that I am not my mind, you know, I am not the thoughts in my head. How many people go through the whole of their lives, you know, thinking that everything that they think is who they are. Whereas actually, when you look at what you think, most of it is repetitive and a lot of it is negative, mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know? Mm-hmm. And once you see that there is, you know, that you can actually dip beneath that, if you like, you can find that still space within you from which to handle life, then I think that changes everything. And so I suppose for me, that's the important thing. And all of the things I do are are things that I hope will do that to people one way or another. And so the work that we connect is one of those ways. If we are going to um, survive as a species, and if our society is going to in any way maybe evolve into that more beautiful world that we all know is possible, to use Charles Eisenstein's words, um, then we have to come from a different place within us. Otherwise, you just replace one thing much the same, which is commonly what happens Mm -hmm. in revolutions and commonly what happens when things fall apart, you know? Yeah. If things fall apart, then it has to be that there are people who who are able to keep steady and who are able to not come from fear yeah but come from love and so i think like cultivating that yeah. cultivating that love of the earth which is like the, uh, that lo- love of the whole world that we live in including ourselves and so it's sort of cultivating that idea that everything is sacred and that we need to start regarding it as sacred you know because if you regard the world is sacred. If you have reverence for the earth, then of course you you would treat everything so much differently. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a being that we come from and go back to, rather than um, is here for us. That kind of attitude is a negative thing that seeps into so many of our lives. And uh, I think we're at such a crucial point now where there is like a collective shift in consciousness and you can you can feel it like everything is ramping up um everything is so heightened and i yeah i think like <laughs> what a time to be alive when we're going to go one way or another and i guess setting your intention on the world that you want to create and just working towards that is uh like I'm just going to, I'm trying to see it as something really exciting because it is. Um, like now, now is, I guess, the turning point. Um, I guess I feel quite uncomfortable with setting intentions. Fair, that's <laughs> um, fair. Just because I suppose for myself, I know that when I do that, I nearly always fail. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, I, I think it's more about that the, the, the more you become conscious of, um, the decisions that you're making in your own life, then the more you can actually change things. You know, it's it's um, it's always a bit of a fine line because um, it's very easy to start being very judgmental 
because we're all different and we all make different choices. So in the end, I think it's for me to make the choices that sit well with me and, and to be open to becoming more and more conscious of how I live. And so I think over the last two or three years, it's sort of like just been a, a slow process and a sort of quite a playful process because I don't want it to be like some sort of, um, you know, where, where you must do this and you must do that and yeah. it ends up being something, you know? Yeah, it, you know, because that reminds me of my, you know, upbringing in, you know, sort of evangelical um, Christian church where, you know, there was, there was so many do's and don'ts and so many, so, many so much judgment really. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. And I don't think that really works. And there are so many problems in the world. There are so many things that need to be set right. But in the end, I feel that just by doing small things in my own life, that's the best I can do. But I, otherwise, I would go crazy. And so I do the small things in my life as I become aware. For instance, I've gone back to using a fountain pen, right? Oh, Don't lovely. use anymore. Do you know what? It's such a lovely thing to use a fountain pen with a filler, you know, so yeah. I don't have to use a cup. I feel like your writing just instantly looks better as well. Like it instantly, you could have the exact, and you're just like, God, there's such a flair to this. <laughs> and that's such a little thing. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to go back to fountain pens, but for me, it's immediately I write more slowly and I write in a, in a different way. I, like you say, you write more beautifully because it's a different way of writing. Mm. So it's really interesting how just little things sometimes, you know, just suddenly having a realisation that, you know, biros actually are loads of plastic, which we treat as if there's no tomorrow, really. Nobody thinks about biros. But, you know, when I was growing up, we all learned to write with fountain pens. Such a modern thing. Yeah, there's there's loads of these modern fixes that have that have come into life that are actually more way more wasteful. Um, and God, yeah, it's sure plastic. I've had a couple of interviews around that. It's just an absolute nightmare. But there's these really simple, beautiful fixes. For example, my gratitude journal is made of um all recycled paper and it just fills me with joy every time I'm using it because I'm like it's made by a company called Badly Made Books which is an Irish company and it's it just it makes it a bit more ooh, like it's not just you know a, like a random copy book with a plastic cover or something like that um so when you have like those little things it sounds silly but they really can give you like energy or that any kind of anything that gives you that kind of like this feels good to do it might be so small, but I mean, use it and feed on that and have that be like a little battery for your activism or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And so I think little things really do matter. And in the end, all you can change is yourself, really. Seriously. Mm. And whether people notice or not, but people do, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, they do notice. And I mean, I'm not going to make it into some sort of, for every little thing that I do to change things, I'm not going to make it into some sort of must-do where... Um, you know, I can never do different. Sure. Because otherwise yeah. it just becomes miserable. I'm not going to be a Puritan about it. That's, and I think that's one of the dangers, you know, of environmentalism that um, there's a perception that it means, you know, you're going to have a miserable life because you can't do all the things that, you know, in our modern society we consider pleasures. Mm-hmm. But actually, I mean, for instance, travel. Uh, you know, I just flew to Venice. <laughs> But I hope that's the last time I will fly unless it's for an emergency. Um, and I felt a bit bad about it 
because I didn't, you know, I could have just let go of that Ryanair voucher. <laughs> but I thought, no, Sonic, I'm going to go, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, next time I go, I will go by train. And I've started, you know, I go by train and ferry to England because I have to, you know, go and see my family quite often. Do you know what? I so enjoy it. Good. Um, and I'm not saying that every, because, you know, I'm, I'm in a position where I have the time to do that. But I can do that myself. Mm -hmm. And in doing that and having a nice time doing it, it's amazing how you're, you're actually showing people a different way, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Even though it may not be that they're necessarily going to act on that. But I mean, actually, both my daughters are going by ferry to England probably next summer and probably wouldn't have thought of it otherwise. It's there actually a really lovely way to travel. A, a different pleasure. That. A whole different experience. You're give, giving yourself leg room, fresh air. You could see a whale. Who knows? <laughs> and, and, and you open yourself to life with a capital L because that's part of the problem, I think, is that we're all get more and more used to everything being very efficient and getting somewhere at the time you want to get to it, you know. And so the sort of adventures of life become less and less with Google Maps and, you know, this, that. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but it's good to observe these things and then choose how much you would like to do things differently. Mm. And so it is all about awareness, I think. And then, yeah, we're all going to make different choices because we all have different lives. You know, some people have family in Australia. Of course, they're going to fly to Australia to see their family. But maybe, maybe that, you know, we can do that if we don't all pop over to England every two minutes thinking it's fine to have a weekend in in London on a plane do you know yeah yeah or if we ch if we change other systems that aren't working it allows us more room to do the things that are more essential or what have yeah. you yeah and it's more that we need to think about those things that's the thing and some people would say what it's not silly at all this is it's the most convenient this is the future it's the most convenient way of traveling and, and sometimes the most convenient things are quite damaging but you don't really you don't really realize it until you I guess awaken that kind of consciousness uh I wanted to also ask you about hope because this is something that in the very I guess the very start of Joanna Macy's book um what hope means and how hope has been I guess constructed as being hopeful as opposed to active hope have you kind of any thoughts or feelings um yourself around hope or how it kind of should be thought of well it's interesting because i am i think you know joanna mesa uses it in a very different way to how we would generally see hope and i find that quite difficult she sees it as um you know through going through the process of this work that you you are going out into the world to be active and so that is a hopeful thing you know, in, in itself. But when we talk about hope generally in society, it tends to be people who are of a sort of positive bent and, you know, depends on, on who you are, but, you know, tend to just vaguely hope that everything will be all right. And that's no good because, you know, it's up to all of us together and each of us individually, yeah, to live our lives in ways that have some awareness of, you know, how our way of living affects the world around us and if we all started to do that then then there is hope for uh, for humanity but it's also a matter of, of society changing you know you know joanna macy talks about you know three different world views you know that 
the one that so many people have lived in. I'm not so sure that any more they do of business as usual, you know, where you just carry on as usual and hope for the best. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I mean, to be fair, you know, many, many people haven't got the energy all the time to do much more than that because they are you know, living in the midst of society, which is very, very stressful and which demands so much from them, you know, and often if you do choose to live differently, as you know, I did by going to live in the mountains of Kerry and you know, I chose not to have a career really. I chose, I think right from early on in my life when I finished college, I had this idea of living in a holistic way. Or, you know, like I wanted to, yeah, not have that division between work and leisure, but to see that you know, you could live life in a different way. And so I suppose that has permeated the way that I've lived in that I have never really um, earned very much money or, you know, I've always lived on the edge of society, I suppose. My life has been a lot more interesting because of that. But on the other hand, that does mean you live on the edge a lot of the time, you know, Mm. that you live in a risky sort of way. I mean, but in a way that is also freeing. I mean, I live in a rented house. I've got a scruffy old car. I actually own nothing of any value yeah <laughs> that's sort of like yeah a really free way to live it's a real live. liberating thing um, to yeah but it's of course at the same time living it, I, I could be told to leave here in a month's time mm. and everything would be turned upside down so you have to that's the um the other side of it but then okay that's my next adventure isn't it yeah if by not holding on to these things too rigidly it doesn't upset you as much when they go and like there's a lot there's a lot of onus in society on like possessions and looks and all of these things are fleeting all of them things break looks change um and if if that's where your happiness or you know you're, you're relying on that kind of stuff it, what happens when it changes you know so if if you yourself are kind of open to change then it, it definitely helps I guess with um anxiety and things like that um that are quite prevalent today yeah I mean I think you know people get very caught up with security mm. and really there is no security <laughs> but we get caught up with thinking that things will make us secure like owning your own house or having money in the bank or you know whatever it is you know there's nothing wrong with those things but I guess it is again it's about your attitude to them isn't it yeah I have learned that it's the attachment to things and to situations yeah just to observe really to pay attention to what the things you're attached to maybe change that when you can and of course you can't always be you know it wouldn't be human to be not attached to anybody or anything but Mm. Um, but yeah, again, to be aware and to make choices. It's not like I've made this into some big philosophy of life or something. It's just the way sure. it's ended up. Sure. <laughs> and, you know, everybody, like I say, everybody makes different choices. But all I can say is that I um, am quite happy with the way it's ended up for me. And that in lots of ways, maybe if, if we in society, in our society, encouraged people to, to, to live in different ways, and to not need to be little consumers to the extent that we have become in our society, um, that maybe that would be more healthy. You know? yeah. And that's not to say I never go and buy something new. Or you know, Of course I do sometimes. I'm not going to make my life miserable. But, but I think I always ask, you know, how important is this to me? Do you know, do I really need this? And sometimes I think, sorry, I just would like to have this and yeah. that's fine. 
Exactly. Anyway. And that awareness is good. Um, I wanted to to ask you, I guess, for some, I don't know, practical tips or advice in like navigating our way through, I guess, emergencies that could be la- like they could be labeled that like be that the pandemic or like the last two years have been quite chaotic for a lot of people. And then the environmental crisis, there's probably loads of things to do, but I guess what would you say to listeners uh, to help them when things feel like they're getting a bit too much? We haven't talked about the pandemic at all in the whole of this interview. No. Have we? Good. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things that really helps me um, if I start to if I start to get anxious, you know, from listening to the news or I don't know, sometimes the mood comes upon you, is to just go for a walk, preferably on the beach, but to go for a walk up the fields. I think walking sometimes has a sort of magical way of putting things in perspective. Maybe because you're not, I don't know, I don't really think very much when I'm walking, you know, you're just, just walking. And so I could say meditation, but I mean, sometimes if I'm feeling really miserable, I don't feel like doing anything like meditation. Mm-hmm. Going and having a bath is a good one too. Because those things help you to, to yeah, get out of your thoughts. and Yeah. I, I think that is what's most important because it's only the thoughts in your head that are going round and round and round and exacerbating um, fear and anxiety. Whereas we all actually have that steady place within us. It's just we're not used to finding our way to it, you know, pushing our attention there. For me, I suppose that's why, you know, the meditation that I learned, which was a very simple and effortless meditation, has always stood me in good stead because it just encouraged you to put your attention there rather than in the thoughts. You know, as soon as you see that you're wrapped in a whole load of thoughts, just bring your attention back into that still place beyond thought. And you can, you know, you can cultivate that by any form of meditation, I suppose. But if you're not that way inclined, going for a walk or having a bath are ways of also yeah, letting yeah. the light in, you know? Finding that place, because I'm someone, I'm terrible for the thoughts, so um, I've been trying to meditate more recently to try get used to finding a still place, still trying to find it. <laughs> but I'm just so out of practice. Um, so I think it's, it's probably something that you do need to practice yeah, I think and um, maybe that's you know, it's sort of natural to me now. Not that I can all you know, like I'm not saying that I never get involved in drama. Of course I do sometimes, <laughs> but I think I I find my way back from it because I've spent time evolving a practice, you know. I went for six months for a sort of um intensive meditation course and I think that did really help me. But at the same time I don't you know, I don't sit down and do meditation every morning. I'm not a person who is very good at having um, a rigid pattern in my life. I tend to be more of a flowing sort of person and I've become comfortable with that. So that's why I would recommend sort of simple things that just help you to slide away from those thoughts. And I think a lot of people are not very good at handling silence. So maybe practicing being in silence when you're at home. Mm-hmm. Um, not always having to have a soundtrack to your life, you know. Yeah, that's something I'm so guilty of. If I'm not listening to a podcast, I have the radio on. Like, there's always noise, so I'm trying to definitely kind of calm down the the swirling thoughts. And I guess for if anyone is looking to start meditation, I mean, 
is there a particular method or does the meditation that you do have a name? The meditation I learned is called um, Ascension, the Ashaya's Ascension. But I, I've since realized that it's very, there's a Christian form of meditation, which is very similar. I mean, I can just tell you more or less how basically every time you recognize that you're running away with your thoughts, if you come back to a new thought, which is the um word that or the phrase that expresses for you the force in the universe that brings the greatest good to all beings at all times whatever that might be okay mm-hmm. it might not be god because god has a lot of negative connotations for a lot of people and so if every time you notice that you're in the midst of a whole lot of chaotic thinking you bring yourself back to that that word or that phrase I would use beauty a lot of the time and then just drop it, just let it go. And it may be only to begin with, it may be only a a second or a couple of seconds of no thought, but that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Then the next time that you notice, that you have that moment of noticing that you're rambling in your thoughts, come back that that word or that phrase and just drop it in there. And it's just, so you're not saying I mustn't think, you're using your thoughts as a part of the process and it's a sort of like a pendulum, okay? Yeah. And it's important that you think that word or that phrase and then let it go. Because the word is just a, a hook you know, to actually helping you to drop into that space between thoughts. And it, it, it's it's the same word. You can use a different word at a different time, but it's good to use the same word. You know, if you're going to sit down and close your eyes, they always say 20 minutes is a good amount of time, maybe once or twice a day to close your eyes and, and practice. Then use the same word for the whole of that 20 minutes. But even if you did five minutes or 10 minutes, you know, like don't make it into something hard yeah. and effortful. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it just and you don't want to do it <laughs> it could just go and over and with and you. i know yeah, would yeah. Be, the as ascension you would learn over a whole weekend and it would be a bit more complicated than that and there are phrases sure. that are designed but what i've just explained to you is is a good enough as an introduction to just finding that still place rather than being you know rushing around in your mind whatever you might call it just finding that still place within you to me is the key to becoming someone who has the balance and the integrity to be able to to manage whatever life throws at you. That's so useful. Thank you. <laughs> I'm definitely, definitely going to use that and look up this this um, form. Um, I, I could sit and chat to you for ages, Jane, but I we should probably, I don't want to keep you all night. We're going to then move on to something kind of completely different where I have assigned just some random questions to letters of the alphabet. So if you want to pick a letter, I will let you know the question. T. T. T for tree. What item have you had the longest? What item have I had the longest? Oh, it would be it would be my Winnie the Pooh book. Wow. <laughs> that as a prize, um, I think in my no, now we are six, which is one of the Winnie the Pooh books, was given to me when I was five when I first went to school. Yeah. And you still have it. That's amazing. That's I so lovely. My grandchildren. 
Oh, that's so lovely. I love that. Um, do you want to give another letter? N. N. What's the first thing you would do if you became Taoiseach overnight? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's the first thing I would do? Um, but this is so many things I would do. <laughs> I know, uh, I know. Oh, how to pick one is, um, is the problem, isn't it? That's it. But it could be simple as making a coffee. <laughs> I think I would go for a long walk. <laughs> it would be so completely um, uh, mind-boggling to be the T-shirt. Yeah. I mean, the T-shirt on his on his or her own doesn't really have an awful lot of power to do anything. Um, sure. I yeah. Guess the next thing would be to get everybody together and um, and talk about the way forward. And, you know, what, what things we could do together. Yeah, That sounds like a plan, but a, walk, a long walk. I think that's what all our politicians could probably do with a long, silent walk. Um, do you want to give another letter? B. B. Your favourite memory from a protest? Uh, oh, I suppose, um, actually, my favourite protest memory was um, in court with Fridays for Future March. <sighs> Um, which was, how long ago was that now? 2019, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, and I suppose that's, be, it, it was such a lovely feeling, mar- marching with all, all the youngsters. And it was, a, it was quite a big march, you know, and there was quite a few of us um, older people there supporting them. And then I, I met, I met with some people afterwards that I hardly knew at all, but who have since become Rekindled. You know, good friends and Oh. Also being involved in the work that reconnects and, you know, made good connections as a result of that. But I think it was just so exhilarating to be there with all those young people and seeing how much they cared. And, you know, there was speeches and um, Downing Ground Parade in Cork. And, yeah, it was a lovely moment. Goodness, it, sound, it feels a long time ago that that happened there. Of course, yeah, because we've had two years of kind of inaction physically, but then things are the the movement very much hasn't gone away. It ha- it had to adapt, and you know they moved a lot of strikes online. But that that this like we saw it at um, uh, COP twenty six in Glasgow, like the the movement is very much still alive and there. It just adapted for I guess public health but I'd say that was an amazing feeling after working in environmentalism I know it's been going on for a long time but now it's like the turning point or the snowball effect so I'd say that was an amazing thing to to see I'll never forget the first climate march I was at as well it was really really powerful just to see the passion of, of young people but also it's sort of like quite sad that that they have to do this you know and that people in my generation you know didn't manage to didn't manage to turn things around, even though we, you know, so many people in my generation were so idealistic, really. But then I've come to believe that, yeah, there was no real stopping of this anyway. It's part of a, the evolution of humanity and needs to happen, you know, um, in, in some way that we don't understand. But um, it is, like you were saying, an evolution of consciousness. And, and maybe before that can happen, we have to you know, go to some sort of rock bottom. <laughs> yeah, it's got to get worse before it gets better kind of thing. But when you do see, when you do 
see then that there is that change kind of happening now. It yeah fills me with a lot of, I guess, a lot of hope and a lot of joy. And I I because in this movement, it we get we focus a lot. We're kind of conditioned for short term gratification. You do something and you want instant results. And this is a long haul kind of situation we're in that you plant a seed to grow a tree and you're not going to enjoy the benefits of that tree it'll be your children or your grandchildren so I think using these small successes uh, however small or huge they may be from seeing people out on marches and the tiny little steps and the success of uh, of a slug living a great life to and uh you know ecocide law coming in like all of these we can kind of like take strength from and they can really like propel us going forward um jane i've absolutely loved chatting to you your website is jane killingbeck um dot ie i'm going to link that in the description of this so people can follow you and if i know you do hold you you still do work on ceremonies as well do you oh i do yeah amazing so your your email address is jane killingbeck one at hotmail.com if people want to get in touch Unless there's anything else, Jane, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Can't thank you enough. Oh, thank you, Cara. It was really lovely talking to you. Now, I hope you guys were able to get a leaf or two from this interview, this chat with Jane. I wanted to just touch on a couple of things that we didn't really get to deep dive into because it's so hard to obviously condense maybe a 200 page book and years of experience of workshops into an hour long podcast. But there's a couple of little things, yeah, that I just want to expand on. Um, The first being we talked about airing your concerns, giving voice to your concerns. And uh, this is something that happens in these these workshops. But this is something that you can do by yourself. I have read um, this book by myself. I haven't talked about it in person. I haven't talked about it with anyone other than Jane. I've mentioned it to people, but I haven't actually talked about it with someone else who's read the book. Um, and yeah, so I haven't done any pair or group exercises that are recommended in it. But airing your concerns, giving voice to your concerns. So if you are worried about the pandemic or climate change and specific things around that, um, how you feel about the future or any kind of concerns, actually sitting by yourself or with someone and you can take turns, but you can do this by yourself giving voice to your concerns out loud or writing them down on a piece of paper. I don't know how it just helps. It's like a little bit of weight is just out of you now. Um, And it might be really sad and you might get upset and you might feel overwhelmed, but that will pass. So giving voice to what is worrying you is something that I would recommend because I've tried it and it helped. Um, there's another thing um, where shying away from problems makes us less confident about dealing with them. This is just a little sentence in the book that I highlighted because I feel like sometimes you're caught between a rock and a hard place where you I want to watch a documentary. I want to learn more about something that is upsetting, but I also feel I could be very overwhelmed. Now, in general, I do tend to look at these things and learn about these things because I personally feel like if I can 
learn about it, I can do something about it. And if I don't learn about it, I can't even talk about it. I can't um, raise awareness. So if there's an issue happening, I would rather know. But obviously it can be overwhelming sometimes. But there is strength and um, I guess courage to be found from not uh, shying away from problems. The time that we spend thinking we can't do that, it's going to be too much. You kind of start to convince yourself that it is when uh, yeah, you're kind of it could be like a negative loop there. But I think it's there's so much strength in people who who are actually doing their best to live lightly on this earth and make the world a better place. That takes strength and you have that strength. So so yeah, it can take bravery to look at problems um or try do something about it. But to be consistently shy and kind of turn your head away from them can sometimes lack um what's the word can sometimes eat at your confidence when if you are already doing your bit and listening to the podcast like this and you know on your downtime trying to make the world a better place that is that takes such strength there's such strength I'm so proud of you oh I get emotional honestly this the community in Ireland um the environmental you know active community in Ireland is so powerful. It's mighty. And yeah, it just it makes me sad when I if I think of people who I know are so strong from a place of love, if I think of these people thinking that they can't um tackle probably isn't the right word, but uh look at um or if they feel like they have to turn their back on an issue because they're not strong enough to deal with it. It doesn't make me sad that they turn their back. It's that lack of self-confidence, I guess, makes me sad because I know you can do anything. And once we have set our mind on a, a solution or a future that is brighter and filled with love, like that there's such strength in that and you can draw from that. And another brilliant thing that I loved was... It, it because I mentioned it a little bit in this chat, but because this this movement is one where there is no short term gratification, you know, you don't. It's not like you do a, a, a maths test in school and you get your results and you get eighty percent and you're delighted with yourself. It's a very slow moving process. So we need to find our successes and draw strength from our successes elsewhere. And you can draw success from anywhere and you can include the earth and the animals and the other people around you. If you, if there is a little success, it could be something, it could be something huge, you know, like there's a, there's a species on the brink of extinction that has been rediscovered again. And you can draw your strength and make that your success because we are all part of this earth. We are all part of this living being. Therefore, it is a win for me and you and us if there's a win for another species like that because we are all part of the same web and one of the suggested exercises in Joanna's book is to go to a place of nature and and draw in think of the the ants that are 
building their colony or the bees that are flying from flower to flower that are succeeding in their purpose in the web of life or what have you and draw on their success their success is our success and then any steps that we take if there's for example um climate case ireland's win in the courts was monumental that's a huge success and we can draw on strength from there and i find that has been helping me um a bit recently i'm practicing gratitude i cannot emphasize that enough i haven't done it the last couple of days and i can notice a difference in and kind of just not being as grateful or happy as I was on the days that I was practicing it so that is something that I really really would recommend I just have a notebook and I write down as whatever comes to my mind that I'm grateful for at the end of the day um, or in the middle of the day who makes these rules make your own rules don't make any rules at all do it whenever suits you <laughs> um, but yeah there's just so many things and it can be really tricky to be compassionate in this world And feel the pain without letting it overwhelm you. But it passes. It's like wading through a river and you get to the other side. We are strong enough for this. Which you're probably sick of hearing. But we are. And sometimes I doubt that myself. But then I say it and I'm like, no, we are. We absolutely are. This movement has grown so fast. So largely. And this, it's the most tumultuous time on the planet in god knows how long that this is the turning point and what a time to be alive and you are here for a reason to do the work that you're doing to do the volunteer activism to do your bit at your home and influence the people in your family even if you know you aren't active elsewhere in your life by just practicing and being the change that you want to see i know it's so cheesy but you are making a difference And you're inspiring other people and that just builds and builds and builds and builds. And uh, yeah, the ripple effect episode that I put out this time last year is a nice one to go back to and listen and be like, wow, you have no idea where inspiration or change can come from. So sorry, there's a little couple of little ramblings there Um, and the definition of active hope as well. I didn't really go into that probably would have been good to say at the start but uh, active hope as Joanna Macy describes it involves identifying the outcomes we hope for and then playing an active role in bringing them about so hope is not something that we hope for or you're you know doing your business and you're like I hope it will be grand that hope comes from the act of doing And the act of doing doesn't have to be organising huge marches or that kind of stuff. It can be so small. Just doing what is right to you. Um, And what is right to you that aligns with what is right for the planet and everyone on it. And you're sure that's it. That's what life is about, isn't it? So... I'm going to wrap it up. I could just ramble and chat to you for ages, but it's a long enough episode. Um, I hope you all had a lovely rest over the Christmas break. I hope you all had a lovely New Year celebration and um, you're safe and well. And even in times when you're not happy that you're okay and know that you will be okay again and if you ever need someone to talk to and um, don't be afraid to reach out to me on my instagram book of lee's podcast 
or shoot me an email. Um, sometimes I can be absolutely terrible at responding people, <laughs> at responding to people, and I've been not on social media that much. But um, yeah, it's always lovely to hear from you guys. I plan on bringing the series back, the podcast back in at the end of March or in April. We'll see. But yeah, I'm also looking forward to this little break and I'll pause the Patreon as well. But yeah, I hear, look, I could talk for ages, but I just want to send you some love. And yeah, hopefully I will be back on the streets soon. Okay, I love you guys. 